Thank you, everyone. I know that uh, the rugby analogies won't go far in this service, Marilyn, because they're all watching Australia versus Wales, <laughs> all the supporters. Now, we're going to be uh, continuing in the book of Acts. I'm going to read first, and then we're going to pray. It's the book of Acts. Love the book of Acts. We're in the book of Ephesians, uh, <laughs> chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, you can uh, either open them up or turn them on, however they work. We're going to be in chapter 6, and we're going to go from verse 10 to about verse 18. We're looking at the armor of God. So let's read it, then we'll pray, and then we'll get into the message. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Finally. That means we can settle here now. We've been speaking about all of this in the preceding chapters. He's been illuminating to us where we're seated in Christ. He's been telling us how we walk worthy of the call. And now He's saying, Finally, this is how you get to exercise all of that that we've been speaking about in terms of your identity. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up your shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And here's another weapon uh, that I want to highlight to us. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, not only praying before, but praying in the moment, in the midst of what you're facing, with all kinds of prayers and requests. So we're going to be looking at that. So let's just jump off with what it said there and just pray. Father, we just thank you that we come to your word and it's so alive, so active, so um, full of just encouragement for us and strength and might and that we get to be garmented and clothed in your living word spoken concerning who we are. And so, Lord, we just thank you for everything that you've provided in and of yourself as we've looked through this beautiful book of Ephesians in terms of our identity. And we just thank you that you give us the ability to see now how we live this out in a victorious manner because you always lead us in triumphal procession. And all that you have done is to establish us and the victory that you have won. So we just thank you, Lord, that we now get to just speak your blood over each and every one of us, your covering. We just thank you for your might that is at work within this place and that you infuse us, Spirit of God, with your dynamic in life, that we walk out of this place with a new sense of purpose, freedom, and empowerment. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen. amen. So we're looking at the armor of God. And uh, Rich and I had the opportunity of being away a week ago, we were doing some studies and we had a dean of a university called Vanguard in California. He was out and he shared this joke about Africa that I, that I enjoyed. We were looking at what it means to be living in a post-modern culture. And so the, the story goes that there was this American uh, missionary who was going to some place in Africa, a made-up place, made-up language, and he was going into some place in Africa, and uh, he was postmodern. so what that word means, if you look at a definition, it means that there's no absolute version of reality. There's no absolute truths. So this is what he held to in a postmodern uh, day and age. And so he was in this African village, and the chief said, listen, the people here are so responsive. They are full of faith. They're going to get behind you. They're going to 
be, uh, if you remember Fabian Jude, they're going to be standing and cheering you on. And so anyway, this American pastor started, and he was going through the whole story of the Bible, and he got to the New Testament, and he was saying, you know, Jesus' birth, it wasn't necessarily a virgin birth, if you want to call it that. There could have been other things at play. And the whole crowd of these people there shouted out, Kabula, Kabula, and he thought, this is amazing. I mean, the response and the interaction, the people are with me. He continued, and he said, you know, the Holy Spirit's not really a person, but he's more like something you just feel. That's, he's not really a person. It's just like a force. And everyone started saying, Kabula. Then he said, you know, there's no such thing as the devil. And this got them really excited. They were going, Kabula, Kabula, Kabula. So he continued and uh, he thought, well, this is going well. So let me bring out the, the big guns. And he said, you know, you don't really have to worry. There's no hell. To which he got the same response. And uh, he thought, this is amazing. It's gone incredibly well. Everyone's been shouting and screaming and supporting me. What a great message. And so he went to the chief afterwards, quite proud of himself. And the chief said, hey, let's go and have a big lunch. Um, to, to just uh, end the day off. But before we do that, I want to show you how we sustain ourselves in the village because we're cattle farmers. And so he said, I'm going to take you to a field, but just be very careful when you walk around this field because I don't want you to stand in any kabula. <laughs> I want to just uh, say that just to set the precedent, that there's some things that uh, we are being told aren't realities, that aren't truths, that are not existent, and it's in a culture and a context we're living in, yet there's a different culture, a transformative culture that we're coming in and seeing from God's Word that declares ultimate truth, that sets us into freedom, to not live in fear of things, but to live fully empowered, to be the force that we call to be as God's people. And so that's the encouragement that I'm wanting us to get as we get into God's Word. And I'm going to just start off by just touching on what battle can look like. Now, if we go back a little bit in history, and I know, listen, just saying that, I know there were some battles won this last weekend because we had the Irish at Shizoko Stadium that got shizoko You see, there's something that happens when you pitch up at a place thinking this is just going to be easy, but there's a totally different scenario of people who've been preparing for four years for your arrival. And in the same way, spiritually, we need to be alert like this. So let me, let me take you to another story uh, that took place in June 6, 1944. It was a Tuesday morning. It was 6.30 a.m., and 5,000 ships were carrying 160,000 Allied troops to the south of France to a beach that they were going to be arriving at where D-Day would be the outworking of it. And uh, there were some men who survived that process, and they were saying, you know, it was, um, it was etched into their memories what they were hearing coming as an exhortation over the loudspeakers as they were on those ships getting ready to approach those French beaches. And these were some of the things that were said. Fight to get your troops ashore. Fight to save your ships. And if you've got any strength left, fight to save yourself. Another statement that was heard over the speakers was, we may die on the sands of France, but we will never turn back. A third thing that was said over the speakers is, this is it. Pick it up. Put it on. You've got a one-way ticket, and this is the end of the line. There's something about getting ready for that which is waiting, you and, waiting for you. And we know that on that beach, over 2,500 American soldiers lost their lives, and many of them would have had that take place within the first 15 minutes of arriving there. And um, that's the onslaught that was, that was waiting for them. And we're just so grateful for those men and women around the world who have fought and stood up for freedom. Uh, but that's not what we're wanting to highlight today or what I'm not, uh, not what I'm wanting to highlight and bring to us. But what I am wanting to see uh, for us to see is this. They had no delusions 
as to what they would be facing when they arrived on the beach they were destined for. There was no delusions. They knew what was going to take place. They were ready. There'd be encouragement, and they were going to engage. They were going to pick it up. They were going to put it on, and they weren't going to retreat because there were lives that were going to be in the balance. And so they arrived on this beach, and uh, I love that they knew they weren't going to an exotic beach in France just for a holiday, but they were aware that there's an enemy and that there's a purpose. And at the end of the book, we in Ephesians, as I've said, he said, finally, at the end of this book, Paul has said, this is who you are, this is who um, you are in Christ, this is your identity, this is where you're seated, you've been blessed with riches, you've been blessed with grace, I've, I've spoken peace over you, you've been adopted, you've been uh, given all of the, the power that is available by being seated in me because I'm seated high above every other power that can be named, and finally, this is what you need to do. And he goes on and encourages them, and he, it's like he's pulling back the curtains because he wants us to be aware of this, that we are in the midst of a battle that is no less stringent and no less fierce than those soldiers faced when they arrived on that beach in France. And so he's wanting to highlight this to us, that this isn't a vacation, it's a war. This isn't a playground, but there's a battlefield. And he, and he wants us to be alert to that. He's not trying to put fear into our hearts, he's trying to put faith that we can live victoriously. And so this is the, the outworking of this chapter as we're looking at it. And uh, he's wanting us to wake up to that fact so that we don't arrive in places and become casualties, as we saw in D-Day. It would be like this if we, if we don't take this into account. And if we, it would be like us arriving uh, in France on that southern beach on D-Day, and instead of being armed and ready with our armor, it would be a, like we're arriving with a little beach towel, and we're arriving with our little boogie board and our little plastic spade and a little bit of zinc on our nose. Uh, that's not going to protect us um, in terms of what we call to. And so Ephesians 6 verse 12, the Apostle Paul says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. First thing is this, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Can uh, look to the person next to you and say, I'm not fighting you. <laughs> the enemy loves to camouflage himself so that he appears as if it is that person, and you think, no, this is the, the one I'm against. No, it's not. There's something else going on. It continues to say there's four other things. Against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers, against spiritual forces. The battle is against, it's coming at you from all fronts. It's against all these things, and so we need to be aware of that, what's being waged. And uh, you might read that verse and think, oh, no. Uh, I've come to harvest here today, and now it's like spiritual warfare, and it's all this, what's happening in the heavenlies. Is this some weird church? And no, we aren't. But ushers, it is time for us to pass the poisonous snakes around, if you can. Uh, <laughs> only joking, if you're here for the first time, we do that at the end of the service. <laughs> Still joking. Okay, so let, let's continue. No, we aren't. But here's the thing. Paul believed that there was a spiritual realm. That's why he's alerting us to this, and so did Jesus. If you look at the life of Jesus, it was um, often you would see the, the kingdom advancing and confronting the kingdom of darkness. That's what would be happening. And you would see that there was deliverance and manifestation, and all of these things were taking place as his ministry went forward, because he said this, I've come to set the captives free. And you know, for there to be a captive, there needs to be someone or something that has taken people captive. 
And he said, I've come to destroy the works of the enemy. And so Paul is picking up just on what Jesus has done. And through Ephesians, he's starting to just massage through us that our life is meant to be a fight. Don't be in fear, just be empowered. Don't be afraid that you're going to get defeated. Know how to stand in victory. He's trying to reinforce us over and over. And he says, here's the thing. You've got armor. You're not here as a victim. You're here as an enforcer. You're not here to be intimidated. You are an intimidator when you put on the armor of God. We'll see that as I go a little bit further. But um, let's just read a quote from C.S. Lewis. It says, when it comes to the demonic, people usually fall into one of two errors. So hear this, because it might define some of us here today. When it comes to the, the demonic, people usually fall into one of two errors. Either they take him altogether too seriously, the enemy, either they take him altogether too seriously, or number two, they do not take him seriously enough. Two errors. Take him too seriously, don't take him seriously enough. And you can fall into one of those two camps, and Maybe you would identify with one of them here today. Maybe you're in the camp where um, you, you would, everything is, is a spiritual warfare against you. You know, you get a flat tire, or your car battery goes flat, or um, one of your pet fishes dies <laughs> this week, <laughs> and your hermit crab eats him. And please don't tell my four-year-old. And uh, could be a traffic jam. Yes, it's a true story. I'm getting vulnerable up front. Maybe it's a, a price increase at Seattle, and you think, you know, the enemy's trying to affect my budget so I can't tithe. Maybe someone in the worship, you know, in that spiritualized environment, someone in the worship sneezes next to you, and you want to tell them to cough and allow that thing to come out. Or someone says, coming in this morning, you know, I've had a bit of a, I didn't sleep well, I had a bad day, and you want to say, well, tell me a bit about your past. How was your relationship with your father? You know, every, everything can go that that kind of hyper-spiritualized way, or maybe it's where you ignore everything, and there's no reality to, to what's going on. And Jesus is saying, if what Jesus is saying is true, if there is the spiritual realm, if what Paul is highlighting is real, then we better be aware, because we could be arriving on the shores of Normandy thinking, I'm here for a vacation, and the enemy have got their rifle sights trained upon us. And so we need to be alert to that. That's what he's saying in this thing. Because here's the truth. You, think, you might think, well, if I don't really acknowledge him, he won't really acknowledge me. Uh, let me tell you this. I love it. Tony, Tony Compolo said it. He said, Satan doesn't care less whether you believe in him or not. He doesn't care about that. He's not interested in his reputation. He's interested in your destruction. He's not interested in his reputation. He's interested in your destruction. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says he appears as an angel of light. That means he, he will take on whatever form to try and... Uh, to try and have his way and to rob you of life, to destroy, to kill. That's what he comes to do. And as if we, if we look through the scriptures, we can, we can see that in the gospels, it was clear to see when this was taking place. Because like I say, there was um, demonic uh, manifestations. There were people having fits. There was uh, other voices speaking through individuals. We don't see that so much in the Western church. Yet I know if you've been on mission trips or you, you might have seen that more regularly in and around. But often today in the Western church and in our environment, he comes a little bit more stealthy. He tries to be a little bit more invisible. He operates behind the scenes, but it doesn't mean he isn't operating. And so we need to be aware of that. 1 Peter 5 verse 8, Peter alerts us to this. He says, be alert, be of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He, he's looking for opportunity. He's got a hunger to see our destruction. And just because you cannot see what is taking place doesn't mean it's not real. I know that we've got some people here who are in and around the medical field and profession, and you might know of a physician in 1864, his name was Ignace Semmelweis. 
I'm sure I pronounced that wrong. And uh, he came up with a theory called germ theory. That, that's what they titled it. It was where he started to see people were dying so often in the hospitals, and he was thinking, why is this taking place? I'm sure there's something unseen that is taking place because the mortality rates were so high. And it was with it in a day and an age where people wouldn't wash their hands. And so they'd be operating on infected people, sick people, fevered people, and then they'd be turning around and delivering babies. And the mortality rate was just a skyrocketing, a skyrocketing of these kids that were um, passing away. And so he started to do some studies and he got some interns. And he got them to wash their hands with chlorinated water. And, um, and what happened was that mortality rate went down. And he, he, he believed that there was something that was invisible on the hands. And so he took this to the medical fraternity, and they laughed him off. They said, you know, we can't see it. How can you say something we can't see can be so destructive? And they told him, no, they, they, they try to keep him quiet. Eventually, he would go to one of the, uh, the famous medical conferences, and he would say, gentlemen, for God's sake, please just wash your hands. But, you know, the culture of the day was if you were a real gentleman, you didn't need to wash your hands because you were clean. Now, that might seem uh, a little bit laughable, maybe not if you know your husbands, um, but wives, don't pick on your husbands too quickly because this man's wife didn't believe him, and she was in agreement, no, this is also uh, an impossibility. He landed up being put in an in asylum uh, because what, they didn't believe something that was invisible could be so destructive, and then later we would know that it would become uh, discovered what that was two decades later. And the challenge and why I say that is we need to be careful that as believers that we aren't equally naive to what's going on and disbelieving just because we're not seeing something. Because everywhere we look, we can see that there's a kingdom of darkness at work. Now, I'm not afraid of that, and we call to be those that enforce the kingdom of light and advance God's kingdom, and we know that it is always advancing and uh, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, so we're on the advance, but we need to be aware what we're advancing against. That's the encouragement. Andy Stanley said this, says, if you want to see evidence for the demonic, meaning that this, there's this happening all over, if you want to see evidence for the demonic, you won't find it by looking through a, mas- a microscope, but you'll find it by looking in the rearview mirror. And now I'm not talking about looking at your kids, I'm talking about looking back in your own life. And he goes on to say this, he says, uh, you'll see how certain temptations were just too perfectly timed and specifically tailored for you to be just mere coincidence. I remember as a five-year-old, I thought I'd get vulnerable and tell a story uh, of my temptation as a five-year-old, where chappies were one cent. And people know I pick on my mom, I love and honor my mom, but she didn't, what is a cent, mom? And I wanted this chappie, so I took it. It was just too close to hand, too available, too easy, too tempting to be a coincidence, and I took this thing. How many things and uh, opportunities in life do those things pop up, those opportunities pop up where it's too coincidental, the temptations, and that we give given to them like I did. Um, maybe it's that you're going through a time of, of just battling with thought patterns and uh, the, the, the right person at the right time with the right words to say creates enough doubt to lead you to the totally wrong place of thinking. Uh, that can happen just as easily. Maybe it's that perfect storm of cumulative things that are happening within your marriage, and they're just coming at you from every angle. Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's in a small group, and they drive a wedge between your relationships, and you realize this was just too perfectly orchestrated to just be coincidental. And you start to realize as you look back that the enemy has been operating. 
Sometimes we can explain that away and we can say, no, well, that relational strain in my marriage, it's just that we are different personality types and our strength finders portfolios don't match up or profiles as they should. I know that a lot of us have been doing that in the marriage course. Leanne had done it, I've done it, and it's uh, very helpful. Um, maybe you're looking back and you're saying, no, this addiction or temptation I've struggled with, my father did, my grandfather did, his father did as well, and we're saying, no, this is just genetic. Maybe we're in the place of passing it off as that. But there are other things that you've got to look at and realize, no, there, there's no chance that there isn't something um, demonic driving that. When you look at things like the xenophobia that we've seen being taking place on our streets, when we start to see what's been happening to children in our nation and ladies in our nation, when we see terrorism and how uh, it's just destroying uh, people's um, just confidence and peace, just to go out and enjoy life in general. When we see these things, we realize something demonic is operative. I've got friends in Germany, and if you speak to them about the Holocaust, they'll say, I cannot believe that we allowed that to happen. It was like we were sleeping, we weren't aware, we weren't alert, we just didn't see it, because there was like this veil, there was the demonic operative. We've witnessed that in South Africa as well, where something comes and camouflages itself and makes us to build suspicion against each other and resentment and division and hatred, and it gets riled up. And when we look at it again, we look back and we think, what was that all about? Demonic. It's because we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and spiritual evil in high places. And this is not something to cause us. I say it again. Don't be afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not sharing this out of fear. I'm saying let's be armed and dangerous to dismantle these poison strategies. Let us be the ones that bring the freedom to the captives. Let us start to enforce the victory that has been won where there's a destroyed enemy and we get to remind and live out that victory as we stand on victory ground. Let us be those. I'm saying this to speak courage into our spirits, not to make us nervous. So uh, Paul goes on to say there are two reasons that we can see why he's highlighting this. The first one is this. He wants to make us more alert. He wants to make us more alert so that you can recognize those temptations and where there are those doubts and where there is that relational strain. We can start to say, hey, maybe it isn't that person. Maybe it's this, play, this ploy and this strategy and something demonic is operative. I want, he wants us to be alert so that we can shift focus in the way we engage and carry out that warfare. Uh, I'm reminded of a, a little boy that had to shift focus. How many of you have heard of Field Marshal Montgomery? Take you back to another war, Second World War. And he was a famous field marshal, and he was driving through a field one time, and he saw a little boy that was on his way to school, and he had a heavy backpack on. And so he stopped for this little boy, and he led him in the car, and they continued to drive through the field. And this little boy said to him, you know, what do you do? And uh, Montgomery responded and said, well, I'm a field marshal. This little boy kept quiet and pondered that for a while, and he said, well, my dad works in a field also. He produces food that we eat. What do you do in the field? And uh, Montgomery responded, I kill people. The little boy kept very silent, pondered for a while, got a little bit further down the road, and he said, excuse me, sir, I'd like to get out now, please. <laughs> you see, there's something about being alert to what the enemy is doing, that you don't go for a ride in his vehicle. You, you, you prepared and you're ready to know where to engage and where not to. And uh, the enemy is real. The second thing that he's highlighting to us as he brings this out, that there's the spiritual realm at work, it's to encourage us, here's the beauty, it's to encourage you, as I've said, it's not to make you afraid, but it's to encourage you, speak courage into your spirit for greater dependency on God. 
That's why he's saying, I want you to be more dependent on God. You're not battling. If it was just humans and if it was just normal earthly situations, you would have the skill set, you would have the strength, you would have the capacity, you would have the resilience, you would have the wisdom for how to discern your way through. But realize it's not earthly things, it's spiritual things. So you need to be aware that you don't handle this in your own strength. Get dependent on God so that his strength can come to bear in the midst of the situation that you're in. And so he, he does this by, um, he concludes the book of Ephesians by reminding them of this spiritual force, and he wants them to turn away from trusting in their own strength to trusting in God once again. That's why he says in uh, 6 verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Will you say that with me? Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I love this. It's, if you look at the commentary, it says this. I'm going to say this to you. This is a command. This is an injunction if you look at the word. He's, he's saying this is what you need to do. Be strong, but not in your own strength, in the power of his might. But this is how you do it. This is what it means. It means to be supernaturally infused with strength through your life union with the Lord Jesus. Don't you love that? When he is seated far above all other powers and dominion and every name that can be named, you are seated in him. And you need to make sure that connectedness is there so that you can be strong in the power of his might. That's the encouragement that's coming for us in this part. Verse 13 goes on to say, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Will you say that with me? Take up the whole armor of God. Whose armor? God's armor. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. means that you might be able to stand with the armor of God that you've taken, that you might be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, this is what that word means if you uh, break it down, um, stand firm. This is what it means. It means stand in your place, fully prepared, immovable, and victorious. Isn't that a beautiful scripture? I love that scripture. And there are two phrases there just to grab onto. The first one is this, stand firm. Stand firm. Some fights you can't escape. You've got to stand and fight. You know, sometimes uh, the best form of defense is a clean pair of heels. But the other time it's to dig in your heels and to stand firm and to, to make sure that you're digging into the ground. And we, we see uh, three times in Scripture it mentions you should flee. Um, man of God, if you're reading in Timothy, he's writing to Timothy, Paul, and he's saying, man of God, flee these things, uh, follow after these things, and fight here. There's places to flee, places to follow, places to flight. One of the, uh, the three ways he mentions to flee are this, flee from sexual immorality, free fr uh, flee from the love of money, and flee from false teaching. I hope I'm not going to see anyone get up and run, but I'd understand from the scripture if you did. But flee from those things. Sometimes you've got to flee. I've got a friend who, um, he was a salesman, and he won a trip to go and display his products in the med and on a beach there, and, and then they're going to have like a weekend of just relaxation afterwards. So he left his wife and his kids here, and he went off to the med, and he was um, displaying these products during the week, um, and there was one lady, he said an attractive lady, that took a liking to him. She was following him around and speaking to him throughout the week, but he was keeping his distance, um, He's a man of God, godly man. And anyway, she was pursuing him in this regard. And anyway, landed up. The displays were over. It was the weekend. He was sitting in a pub in this like estate that they were in. And he was just sitting down and thinking, great, it's all done. I get to go home soon. And this lady walked up and decided to sit on his lap with her drink. And she sat on his lap. What do you think happened in that moment? He got the fright of his life. He lifted her up by her elbows. He stood her up. He didn't say anything to anyone, managers or anything. He just started to run. He ran out of the pub. He ran out of the front lobby. It was a golf course. He said he ran the longest he's ever ran for 30 minutes. He was just running anywhere and everywhere, dodging trees. And eventually he got back. He ran straight through the pub, didn't look left or right, straight up to his room, locked the door, phoned his wife. You see, sometimes the best 
form of defense is a clean pair of heels. But here's the thing. There's the beauty in protecting your family and creating safe environments and, and not causing them to be polluted or contaminated by culture. But the reality is this. If we want to parent well, father well, and equip families well, we need to teach them how to stand in the might of God and to stand in the midst of everything that's levied at them so that after everything is thrown at them, what do they do? They continue to stand. Sometimes it's not a time to run. Sometimes it's a time to fight. That's why we're told to be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Our hope in, is in His might. Here's the other encouragement I want to bring. Often in this battle, we, we think, I don't have the... Well, here's the challenge. Often in this battle, we put our, our confidence in our own strength. You know, I can earn enough money. I don't need God's provision. I can do it. I can uh, have enough wisdom how to navigate this relationship as I've said, I can, and you can name all these other things you can do. The problem is when you're fighting a spiritual fight, your own physical strength becomes a liability. Let me say that again. If you're fighting a spiritual fight, if you're trying to fight in your own strength, your strength becomes a liability because it's not equipped to handle with what you're dealing with. We need to be aware of that. You see, the truth is this. We need to um, recognize our weaknesses so we can depend on His strength. We need to recognize where our frailty comes to bear so that we can draw on His divinity and His sovereignty, and His potency. And so this is the challenge that comes, that we need to lean more on Him. Because here is a great point, if you want to take notes, here's a great point. In the Christian life, weakness is an advantage because dependence is the objective. Let me say that again. In the Christian life, weakness is an advantage because dependence is the objective. The objective is for us to be more dependent on Him, not to get more strong in ourselves. We want to live totally surrendered, totally yielded, totally dependence. And if dependence is the objective, then weakness is an advantage because my weaknesses causes me to place my trust on Him. That's why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, for those of you who don't believe me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in what? In weakness. So what does Paul start to do when he hears that? He doesn't try to cover his weakness or hide his weakness or um, not engage with it. It says this, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power might rest in me, be upon me, be at work in me, be clothing me. He's not saying I want to stay in my weakness. He says I want an infusion of God's power in me that just totally shrugs off my weakness because it's divinely infused because I'm drawing from his life source. And so there's this uh, beauty that comes when we acknowledge our dependence is our objective not our own strength. And uh, this, this is quite key in looking at this. If you've had a journey like me, I've mentioned before, I gave my life to the Lord at the age of three. And so I've, um, I've remembered uh, growing up in church and in Sunday school today, actually, they're doing the armor of God. I know my son brought his little lightsaber because we are, we are modern church <laughs> for his sword. And um, yeah, and, and I remember as a kid, you know, I didn't have that in my day. In my day, you'd go and they had that kind of like green board and you had that like flannel armor that they would stick on and they'd like build up this. Uh, do, do you remember that? I, I mean, I was like, I loved He-Man back in the day, I will confess. And I was like, no, I want like proper armor. I want a flaming sword. Um, what is the magic amulet of this? And you could look at the armor as if it was a totally separate thing. You would think this is a whole new concept, but here's the beauty. You see, when Paul introduces this, um, in concluding, he says, finally, if, you're, if you know anything about writing, you never introduce something new in the conclusion. 
You only highlight what you've been bringing up the whole way through. He's not introducing a new concept that you've got to go and discover and think, how does this armor fit? How do I access it? What is its magical properties? No, he's saying this finally as he's sitting in prison with the security guard next to him who's, cl- who's intimidating and fully armed and looking dangerous in a sense. He's saying, this is who you are, your identity. You're seated in Christ. His riches is for you, his power, his grace. You are a new creation. This is who you're called to be. You've got to walk worthy of the call as you do. And you are called to look like this. Be fully clothed in everything I've told you about. This is how you're called to look. This is what the armor of God looks like on you. And uh, I love that because so often we can go into the detail and we're trying to think, you know, this armor, that armor, that piece, what is the fiery dart? If I can name the fiery dart and find it, then I can maybe bind it, then I can maybe rewind it, then maybe it's not going to be affected. And we get so caught up in the midst of that thinking, but that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying just put on everything we've been speaking about. Chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and journeying in 6 up to this moment. Put on everything that speaks to you about what the gospel of grace looks like that is provided in Jesus. Just clothe yourself in Him. You'll be fully armed and you'll be dangerous. Just do that. Just do that. And uh, that, that's what he's highlighting in the midst. Here's something I want us to be aware of. We need to make sure that the gospel of His grace and His person is covering every part of our life. Be clothed, put on the full armor of God. We need to make sure that his gospel is covering every place of our life because here's the strength. Here's what I encourage, want to encourage you with. Where the gospel has fortified you, Satan cannot attack you. Where the gospel has fortified you, well, let me put it this way, Satan cannot have dominion over you because he's already put on the back foot. Why? Because the gospel has already disarmed him and taken all authority from him. So where the gospel has fortified you, Satan cannot overcome you. So I want you to make sure that you fully clothe every area that you're walking in the midst of this, because here's the key, as we've been talking about identity, Ephesians 6, your greatest offense is the defense of your new identity. Your greatest offense, your greatest attacking weapon that's destructive to the enemy is to make sure that you're defending and protecting and holding on to your new identity in Christ. When you do that, when you hold on to your new identity, let me tell you, it puts fear into the enemy's camp. So we need to make sure that we're doing that so that it says that we might be strong in the Lord, that we might be walking in His power because we know that as we looked in Ephesians, we were dead, we were caught up in our sin, we were guilty, we were condemned, we were weak. But in Ephesians, it says this, He chose us, He made us a new creation, He drew us in, He not only saved us, but He adopted us, He not only adopted us, but He raised us, He graced us, He seated us in Him, He empowered us with His Spirit. Why? The whole focus, finally, that he's getting to here, it's not that you can be thinking, how do I fight the enemy? You might be thinking, he's done all of that so that I might know how to fight the enemy. No, he's not trying to highlight to you how you fight Satan. What he is trying to highlight to you is who God is, who you are in him, and how he is in you fighting on your behalf. That's what's actually happening here, if you will let it unfold. That is what he's wanting us to be aware of, that we're in the midst of that fight, and it's his strength that's going to carry it out. And we know that we don't have the power or the ability to defeat the enemy. That's where the beauty comes in of trusting in God's grace and his power to do it. Here's a key, another key, another practicality. uh, practicality. Apply the gospel of dependence of God's grace. Let me say that again. Apply the gospel of dependence of God's grace to every vulnerable and weak area of your life. Apply the gospel of the dependence on God's grace to every weak and vulnerable area of your life. 
You need to take that and start to apply that and to make sure that you are being fully clothed, taking on the full armor of God. Um, and here's a, another encouragement I want to bring, is don't think that I need to put on the armor and I have to remember the next morning or that night, take off the armor, next morning, put it on. No, put on the armor of God. Clothe yourself in the gospel. Clothe yourself in Christ and then never take it off. I mean, you, are in, uh, you don't get out of this battleground. You don't get a, a, a break until we enter into uh, the finality of his rule and reign. So keep the armor on while you sleep. I mean, how many of you have nightmares or, or those things that bother you? I mean, why take the armor off? You're thinking, you know, I'm going to take the armor off just for tonight. I'm going to put on my, um, my pajamas of purity and my slippers of sobriety. No, don't do it. Keep the armor on. Go to bed fully armed. Dangerous. One commentary says it this way. That way, we keep the corrupting influence of the enemy out of our lives is by establishing every part of our life, your hopes, your dreams, your failures, your worries, your fears, your relationships, your pleasures, your disappointments. Make sure that they all are covered in the gospel. That's how you stop the corrupting work of the enemy. Make sure everything's covered in the gospel. And then remember this. You call to stand. Next week we'll actually look at the armor, sorry. Uh, you call to stand. You call to take your stand in him and in the power of his might. I love this in Ephesians 6 verse 13. It says this. It's saying you've got to stand. We're not called to march. I mean, it's put on this armor. You think, oh no, we've got to march and take ground. No, he says just stand because here's the beautiful thing. Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. We get to stand on victory ground. That's why all of the, the weapons are defensive in nature, because you hold the ground that's already been won for you. Jesus is not saying, I never finished the work, you need to go and finish it on my behalf. He's saying, no, it's all won, it's all done, it's all finished, it's all complete. That's why he said, tetelesta, it is finished. And he says, you get to stand in victory ground, but don't let yourself get pushed away, don't run, don't flee from this moment, dig in, take your stance, put on the whole armor of God. I love that. If you look at, if you looked at a Roman soldier before, this is what Paul would have been doing. He would have been looking. And you know, the one piece I'm going to mention, and we'll do it again next week in more detail, is the breastplate of righteousness. Now, I just love that. You know why? Because I've, I've pursued righteousness. I'll say it, uh, let me put this, let me, hmm. I pursued righteousness as a desire of my heart, um, but what I've also pursued is a six-pack which I haven't yet attained to. And if you see a Roman breastplate, I mean, it's like an eight-pack. I mean, have you seen those things? It's just like the solid, intimidating, and, and the beauty is this. When we get to put on God's armor, it's like he says, I'm gonna take away your weakness, I'm gonna put on my strength, I'm gonna clothe you in my righteousness, I'm gonna put on a breastplate of righteousness, like instant, defined chest, six, eight-pack, little, whatever those things are that go there, and, and it covers all the jiggly bits under there. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. Here's my encouragement. You need to make sure that you've got no love handle popping out that the enemy would love to get a handle on. Because whatever isn't covered or clothed in the good news of the gospel of grace is a target for the enemy. Love handles are kabula, as William has said. You need to make sure everything's covered. You don't want no handles sticking out for him to get a hold of. But here's another beautiful thing is when you put on the full armor of God, God's armor. Let me tell you this. Oh, I love this. I'm going to ruin it for next week, but it's just so good. Mm. I love this. You get to put on God's armor. Can I tell you what? When you put God's armor on, the enemy isn't seeing you. 
Who do you think he's seeing when you're carrying the guard sword and helmet and shield and, and breastplate? And Well, who do you think he's seeing? It's the armor of God. He's just, what have I just pitched up in this battle for? I mean, he's terrified. He thinks, what am I doing here? Because what is he reminded of? You see, it's God's armor. We can even see it in the Old Testament, Isaiah 59 verse 17. This is the sight that he's beholding. This is speaking of God. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and he wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. That is our God as he moves into war. And if we get dressed in his armor, I want to say, you don't need to worry about fleeing because the enemy is showing you a clean pair of heels. That's the beautiful encouragement. That's where I want to end. Can I get you to stand and we'll pray there. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Lord, I'm just so grateful that as a community we get to take a stand in the power of your might, that we've got to journey through this beautiful letter, the letter of Ephesians, and understand that we have new identity in you. Not only do we have a new identity, but we have a new place of being seated in you at the right hand of the Father, far far above all powers and dominions and anything else that can be named. And we just thank you that in that you've given us the rich access to the fullness of your grace with which you have lavished us with. And I thank you that it's from that place of being empowered in you, we get to walk worthy of the calling that you have given us as sons and daughters that have been adopted and now heirs and co-laborers. But we don't just have to walk out to try and establish our own um, our own land or or property through our own stripe, but Lord, you've called us to victory ground, and Lord, we take our stand in you and in the power of your might, Lord. I thank you that you come right now with your grace and that you just clothe us once again. I thank you for your righteousness that you have given us in the divine exchange, and we take that on. I thank you that we get to be seen in you, and Lord, I thank you that every ploy and every strategy and every assignment and every trick and every conniving that the enemy tries to bring against us as he tries to rob, kill, and destroy, I thank you. Lord, for your might to be at work in us and through us, and we just come against any of those things in the name of Jesus. We say no, and we just receive just the covering that comes through your blood, the empowerment that comes through your spirit, and Lord, just your your word of truth, which brings us into the fullness of freedom and liberty that we have in you. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you come and activate and seal this and enable us and all of us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, and together we say, so be it.